Today I want to preach to you, continuing in our series of ghost stories, and I thought it was interesting, for those of you that were here at the very beginning, you heard Caleb talk about how that today's worship time was just a time of encounter. He had no idea what I was going to be preaching on today, but my title for today's message is Encounters. Somebody say encounters. Here's the thing. You know how Jesus sometimes, the Bible says, would hear the thoughts of even the Pharisees, of the unbelieving ones? That discerning spirit, that, 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 that gift of discernment would come upon Jesus at that moment and he would discern even their thoughts. How many know scripture also says that he discerns the thoughts and the hearts and the intentions of of every man, woman, and child. You know what? There is no hiding with God. You can't even hide your intentions. You can't just go, well, God, it it was my intention. He's like, nope, I already know your intention. You see, God already knows that, and so he reveals it. And God the Father would reveal to Jesus through the gift of discernment thoughts. And there are times in a pastor's life, especially in a prophet's life, when he has to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what do I need to preach? What do I need to prophesy? What do I need to bring before the body of Christ? And I'm telling you that God spoke to me so clearly these questions. And so I have a feeling that there's a few of us who are dealing with some of these questions. Do we even need encounters with the Lord? Why do we need encounters with the Lord? I mean, if we're saved, if we're baptized in the Spirit, why do we need any further encounters? Shouldn't we be mature enough to be able just to depend on the Word of God? I mean, there are many denominations that have built an entire belief system that says, if if it was in here, then that's good enough. I don't need any further proof. So, to a degree, I would agree with them. I would say, of course, the Word of God is complete. The Word of God is powerful. So why do we need more encounters? In fact, don't those things open us up to false teaching? Don't those encounters, you know, haven't you ever heard somebody say, God told me to do something and then they do a horrific act? Hello? I remember years ago, this was very many years ago, I I am so vehemently against the murder of children. I am. I don't mind telling people that. I don't look at it any other way. I don't look at it as cute, oh, I'm just, I'm just getting rid of a fetus or, you know, I'm just having whatever. No, you're murdering a child. It's, that's, that's, that's simple. Now, is there forgiveness for the one who's involved in that? Absolutely. Should we respond to that in loving and compassionate ways? Absolutely. Should we be ready to open our homes to those children now that, that are unwanted? Absolutely. We've proven that by our own actions that we believe these things. But several years ago, actually many years ago, there was someone who came out and said that they were a, a, a spirit-filled Christian and they went and they, they killed an abortion provider and then said, God told me to do it. Can I tell you, God didn't tell them to do that. They were listening to the wrong spirit. So you understand what I'm saying. There's times when we can say, do we still need dreams? Do we still need open visions, prophecies, angelic visitations, signs, wonders, and miracles? Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Watch this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul says, even if an angel should come and speak to you another gospel, they're under God's curse. I'll go on public record as saying that Joseph Smith had a demonic being come to him and present to him another gospel. In fact, the Mormons even say it's another gospel. Hello, Galatians 1.8. Case in point. Can I just make this declaration? Mormonism is not, a, not another denomination of Christianity. It is a cult. It is a false teaching. It is a false doctrine. And it is a false gospel. Why? Because an angel appeared to someone and gave them something and said, oh, well, here's the rest of the gospel that, that appeared to the Native, in, Native Americans and blah, blah. No! It goes everything against the gospel. It goes everything against the true gospel. So... Man, do we really need angelic encounters? I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 24, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders. Do you see that? In the last days, there's going to be false prophets and false messiahs that are even going to perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So Jesus warned us. So the question remains, how do we know what a true encounter with God is and what a false encounter with God is? First John gives us the answer. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. If you ask, and this, I'm not Mormon bashing today, I'm just, it's a simple example. But if you ask a true Mormon or someone who understands the, the Mormonism and their belief systems, it is that as God is, so I will be. I'm boiling a lot down. But basically, Jesus was just one in the line of all of us who would eventually become gods of our own planets. That's the basic belief of Mormonism. That, hey, Jesus was just one of many. No, Jesus is the one from God. Amen? Jesus is the only one. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. I could go further into that, but that would, that would require a large teaching and a question and answer session. But I just want to go further. Because what Jesus is saying here, or what John is saying here, excuse me, is that there are false prophecies, but there are true prophecies. There are false messiahs, but there is the true messiah. Let's talk about that for a second. Peter says that Jesus' ministry was marked by signs, wonders, and miracles. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. He says again, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good, 
and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Then Jesus took it a step further and said that our ministry would be marked by the same. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay their hands on the sick and heal them. Are you getting this? The writer of Hebrews recognizes signs, wonders, and miracles. It says here, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through the angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Now watch this. The writer of Hebrews is not just saying that Jesus' ministry was confirmed by signs, wonders, and miracles, but that the ministry of the apostles and of the believers were also confirmed, just like Jesus and Mark said they would be. What am I trying to say, Pastor? What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that there are false and there is true. Just because there's false, it doesn't make the true any less true. Say that again. There is false, but that doesn't make the true any less true. If, in fact, it should shine a light on the truth even more. So what about encounters? What about these things we've been talking about for the last few weeks that we're affectionately calling Holy Ghost stories? Ghost stories. What about those? How do we know that they're true or false? It's very simple. We measure them against the truth. Let me say that again. We measure them against the truth. If they don't measure up against this, then we need to question them. We need to test every spirit. Come on, somebody. But that doesn't mean, and here, here's, <laughs> I've got to be careful here. But I've encountered people through, the, through my time on this planet, especially a lot of church people, who they love that verse. Let's test every spirit. And then let's not accept any spirit. And it's like, wait a minute. You test the spirit, not just to see whether it's false, but also to see whether it's true. Because if it's true, then I need to listen. If a prophetic word is coming, and if it's true, I need to listen up, because God is speaking at that moment. If I'm having an encounter with God, and I test it against the word, and it's true, then I need to listen up. I remember years ago, people used to question, especially during some of the revivals of the 80s, why did people fall down? You know, they'd be prayed for. Somebody would pray for them and touch them or maybe not touch them. Maybe they'd blow on them or throw their coat on them or whatever. And all of a sudden, they'd fall down. And so it was this huge debate. Well, it must not be from God because they fell down, and that's, I just can't find that in Scripture. And then we would go to Scripture, and we'd say, Oh, Jesus just said, I am he, and the soldiers fell back. You, you see multiple encounters with the prophets in the Old Testament where God would show up and everybody would fall to the ground. I just read to you in Revelation how that when Jesus is there in the throne room, the, the four and twenty elders fall down. When you look at those things, many of those times, especially in the Hebrew and the Greek, it's not a voluntary falling down. 
It's like, whoa. Now, yes, there is obviously our spirit we can resist, but it's a, it's a response to the things of God. I love, what, what, who was it? I didn't write it down, but I can't remember if it was Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah, but they fell down as a dead man. That describes falling out under the power. Now, does everybody who falls out under the power under the power of God? No. But does that mean we judge that and go, well, everybody then must not be under the power of God? No. We've got to say, God, we need more encounters with you, and I'm about to build a case for that in a moment, and there's a reason I'm doing this, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But we've got to go after God. We've got to say, God, if you did it in the Word, you can do it today. If you did it then, you can do it now. And God, we don't just want encounter for encounter's sake, but we do want to encounter you. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But before we do that, I want Paxton to come up. And he's going to tell us his ghost story. Let's welcome Paxton. Hey. Uh, So Pastor Ricky asked me to share my little ghost story, and here we go. So uh, when I was a teenager, um, through some experiences that I saw with just people and friends, I decided that I wasn't going to believe in God. Um, So, yeah, so I started living that way. Um, I didn't really do anything bad. I just was living, just not believing in God, and I noticed that my life was noticeably worse. Um, I just felt bad. I, I I wasn't as happy, so I decided that I was going to find out if God existed or not. So I went on like a year-long journey uh, trying to find out if I believed in God or not. You know, you hear stories of C.S. Lewis doing it, so I was going to do it too. And after a year of kind of searching and trying to figure it out and asking questions of people, I found myself in Guatemala. And I was on a missions trip, and I decided, you know what? If God's real, if God exists, he's gonna, I'm going to find him on this trip. Uh, I'm going to figure it out. So we go on the trip, and it's like day two, and we're having a prayer meeting, and it's a teen trip with the leaders and our pastors there, and we're all kind of sitting there praying and all that stuff. And I kind of, like, I felt, I guess, a weight and, a, like, a burden, I guess, that was on me. And I was, I was sitting there going, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if God, see if God is real right here, right now. I'm going to find out. And so I did, and automatic like people started praying for me and I just felt God wash over me and I knew God was like I was like oh God is real uh (laughs) sweet found that out and then a minute later not even they were praying and they go do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I go might as well let's go let's double dip (laughs) so immediately after that I get filled with Holy Spirit um so I went from not not really believing to trying to figure out if he believed, but I still was on the side of like, no, God doesn't exist, to being saved, like completely no, no, no doubts or no question about it, to being baptized in the Holy Spirit, to being able to hear uh, that like 10 minutes later went, went off to pray on our own. And that's when I heard his voice like audibly for the first time in my life. Um, do you want me to say that part? Or yeah, yeah. So, uh, we went off to pray, and uh, they were like, everyone take a spot, pray, you know, going to God. And so I picked this little, uh, and we were in Guatemala, Chicamula, Guatemala. And we were at a mission center that my church has, and we, I picked this little balcony spot that looks, overlooks this, like, mountain rangy area. And it's big hills and trees, and it's really pretty and nice. And I remember I'm trying to sit there and pray, and all I could say was, like, how? Like, how, God, how have you existed to me not known? How has it taken me this long? How? That's just all I could say. And so 
right when I started to ask that, I saw kind of the trees starting to move in the distance, you know, miles I can see out, and I hear God say, I am like the wind. Mm. And uh, as he says this, I can see the trees starting to move and bend, and God continues to say, you can see the works that I do, but you can't necessarily see me myself. And the trees are moving, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And he goes, I can be calm and as refreshing as a summer breeze. And like right when he's saying that, the the wind starts to, get, you know, it's, it's coming down the mountain towards me. He goes, I can be as refreshing and as sweet as a summer breeze, or I can be as fierce and powerful as a hurricane. Yeah. And right when it did that, it hit the wall like the wind, and it kind of knocked me back a, a step or two. And, you know, he just said, I am like the wind. And then that's my ghost story. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paxton. I would say everything that Paxton just said lines up with the Word of God, correct? It all does. It all lines up. Jesus is like the wind. Jesus, Jesus said that the Spirit is like the wind, blowing. It's, it's the Ruach of God. Huh. I want to make sure I understand this, Paxton. You were on a missions trip in Guatemala. Everybody catch that, right? He went on a missions trip and he wasn't even saved. You could say he was an agnostic going on a missions trip. I've seen it. I've seen it before. I, I called a young man, one of our first missions trip, and I said, Stephen, I really believe that you need to go on a missions trip with me. And he's like, me? And I was like, yes. I, to be honest, I can't even remember which, where, which missions trip it was. But I just told him, I said, you need to go on a missions trip. Man, I, I was a very, very mature pastor of uh, 19 and a half years old when I got that discernment. And I, and I told him, I said, you need to go on this mission trip. I really believe it, Stephen. And he's like, well, let me pray about it. He hung up the phone, and he thought, I'm not even saved. This is a true story. Stephen would tell you this today. He said, I'm not even saved. I don't even, I don't even serve Jesus. He just had come to some of our events because his cousins were part of our church. And he said, I'm not even saved. You know what? I, did, I was so discerning as this young youth pastor, I didn't even know he wasn't saved. I didn't even know that. Because he came to church, he'd have a good time and everything else. I didn't know it. And he said, well, I guess if I'm going to go on a missions trip, I better get saved. And he got saved that day. Then he went on the missions trip with us. Praise God. Just before the missions trip, he got saved. I'm telling you, God will use any encounter, any time, anyone, and he will transform your life. So I want to talk for just a minute uh, about encounters and what they do. First of all, encounters give us direction. I'm building the case for why do we need encounters. And let me tell you, I'll just, I'll just lay it out there. I believe God is going to send revival on America again. I believe it with all my heart. There's one reason I'm in Texas. One. Because God told me to come to Texas. I was satisfied in Florida. I was having a great time in Florida. I was having great ministry. We were having revival. Before that, we had revival in Montana. I was happy in Montana. And when the Lord spoke to us to come to Texas to plant a church, I said, Lord, I don't know if this is you, so I'm going to back out. (laughs) But there were so many confirmations, we could not deny it. But there's one reason why we came to Texas is because I had a meeting, come to Jesus meeting with Jesus and I and Joni. And we said, Lord, why are you sending us there? And he said, I want you to be a part of the end time harvest that's going to happen in Dallas-Fort Worth 
and I want you to be a part of that. Hello? Going on 13 years now, and I'm still believing. I said, going on 13 years now, and I'm still believing. I want you to look at me. I'm serious about this thing. I believe that God's not done with Dallas and Fort Worth. I believe that God is setting us up. We look at the traffic. We look at the 100,000 people that move into Tarrant County every year. Every year, 100,000 people moving into Tarrant County. We look at that and we go, ah, traffic, ah, jobs, ah, this, ah, that. But can I tell you, God's setting us up. I said, God's setting us up. I, I have never seen some of the things I've seen, even in, when I was, we were having a revival in Montana, when we were having a revival in Florida, I've never seen how churches are coming together to bind together to come into prayer for God to move again in this city, the birthplace of abortion. I'm ready for God to move in Dallas-Fort Worth again. That's it. And I believe that as we have encounters with God, He takes us from glory to glory, that we will begin to see some of these things happen. So first of all, encounters give us direction. Real quick, I'm just going to tell you because you know the story. Anybody ever heard of the, the guy named Moses and his burning bush? That was an encounter with God to give Moses direction to say, go and set my people free. Real quickly, I just wanted to remind you of a couple of things about Moses. Number one, he was a murderer. Great, Moses. Number two, he was hiding out as a murderer. He was a convicted murderer that escaped prison. Hello? And he'd been hiding out for 40 years on the backside of a desert. But again, you can't hide from God. And God looked at Moses and said, convicted running murderer. Perfect, I'll choose him. And he chose Moses. And how did he do it? He got his attention by a burning bush. Why was the burning bush such an amazing thing? It wasn't because the bush was burning, by the way, because that happened in the desert all the time. The amazing thing was that this bush was burning and it did not stop. The fire did not consume the bush, yet it consumed the bush. You understand what I'm saying? The leaves were still there. Everything was still there, but there was a fire burning. And when he comes into contact with that bush, he realizes it's no ordinary bush because God speaks through the bush. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, we can look at that and we can go, oh, burning bush. But that's weird. That's a strange encounter. And yet God knew exactly what to get Moses' attention. Can I tell you, God knows what to do to get your attention. Whatever he has to do, He'll do it, and He'll give us direction. Secondly, encounters reveal our identity. Again, quick story. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Jacob who wrestled with God? <laughs> and in that wrestling time, whether it was an angel of the Lord or whether it was the Lord Himself, we could debate all day long because there's been thousands of years of debate on that. But the point is that God changed His name at that point. In that encounter, in that wrestling encounter, by the way, that I do believe it was God involved in that, amen? Whether it was an angel of the Lord or the Lord himself, it was God involved, and God heard him in the encounter. If God has to break us 
and cause us to walk with a limp for the rest of our lives to remind us of that encounter, he will do it. Why? Because he wants to change our identity. He changed Jacob's identity from Jacob the deceiver to Israel, one whom God blesses. I believe that encounters with God will reveal and even change our identity to who God has already proven us to be. Next, encounters empower us for the next season. This is, this is the question that, that, that we're going through my mind, and I was like, God, I already know I love encounters. I mean, I think they're great, but why am I doubting? Why am I going, God, and the Lord was speaking to me and said, because there's people at New Day Church that think they don't need another encounter with God, that they've got enough already. They've already had enough experiences with God. Why have any more experiences? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to encounter you and you Him. Why? For one reason, because He wants to empower us for the next season. The long walk of faith and of discipleship and discipline is important. But it's those markers along the way that change us and prepare us for the next season. Let me remind you of one, Elijah. Elijah had just had an powerful encounter with God, fire from heaven, burned up the sacrifice, all kinds. I mean, revival began to happen, except for against one lady, and we know that lady Jezebel. And that one lady caused so much fear and anxiety in Elijah that he ran for his life. And in that running, he came to God. And in that moment, I do want to read this one. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. By the way, this was 40 days and 40 nights later. Great message on 40 days and on the number 40. I love it. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Man, as Pentecostals, we'd be all over that. Yes! That's a lot of fire. That's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Yes! I love it. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Yes! Shaking the house. Come on, somebody. Anybody love Petra? I mean, let's shake the house for God. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Can I tell you, the Lord has been in both of those things in other passages. The Lord came in the wind in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 4, the Lord shook the house like an earthquake. In Acts chapter what is it, 16, 15, 16, the Lord shook the prison and shook Paul and Silas free. It's, I'm not saying that the Lord's never in the wind or never in the earthquake, but in this instance, He wasn't. After the earthquake came a fire. Oh, now we're talking. Fire! But the Lord was not in the fire. I could preach an entire message on fire. But after the fire came what, people of God? A still small voice, a gentle whisper came. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I just want to say this, that in our encounters with the Lord, he's not always going to do it the same way. Sometimes we think, oh, if the worship team would just sing this song, then God would move. 
Because every time we sing that song, God moves. Anybody guilty of that? I know I am. I love worship so much. And I've been guilty of it many times. Man, if we just, man, if we just sing the roll is called up yonder, man, things are going to shake loose. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm joking on that one. But you understand what I'm saying. But sometimes God says, I'm not going to come in the way you expect me. Just let me come in the way I want to come. And sometimes it's a still, small voice, a whisper. Other times it's fire. Other times it's shaking the house. Other times it's wind. And then other times it's things that I'm not listening here. Amen? But in those times, God wants to equip us, empower us for the next season. Two more. Encounters wake us up to His reality. Anybody remember Paul on the road to Damascus? His reality was shifted. And Jesus said, why are you kicking against me? Why are you against me? And all of a sudden, Paul's mind is blown, Saul at the time, and he begins to realize, I'm doing this against Jesus, not just against these people. Sometimes our reality... When I had my, and I say my, there's been many, but this, there's one encounter that shaped my life and ministry so much, and I've told you about it. When I was moving from Texas to Montana and accepted the, the position to be the youth pastor, full-time youth pastor in Montana at Dad's Church. And on that Sunday night, when that pastor called me up and Joni up, and he didn't pray some elaborate prayer, that's what I was wanting because that's what I was used to. He didn't, he didn't come and say this and that and prophesy over me, because I wouldn't have accepted that at that time. I would have said, nope, not of God. He simply said, fire! And that one word almost knocked me to the ground, but I resisted. But Joni didn't. She went down. But the next time he prayed for me, I closed my eyes because I think out of fear more than anything. I was like, what was that? And he said, close your eyes. I went, I closed my eyes. And I was like, what's he going to do, punch me? I mean, I'd, I'd seen, that was during the peak of so much revival happening and things going on in the early 90s, so much stuff I didn't believe in at the time. And I judged at the time. But this guy was an AG pastor. He was a good guy. He was one of the good ones. So I just lifted up my hands, closed my eyes, and I could barely hear him say, fire. And when he whispered fire, he punched me in the gut as hard as he could. That time I did go down. But it wasn't him, it wasn't Gail Craig that punched me in the gut. It was the Holy Spirit, because Gail Craig was about five feet away from me. He never touched me. And when God punched me in the gut, it didn't feel nice and fluttery. Can I just tell you that? It wasn't like, oh, Holy Spirit, you only come as a gentle dove. No, it was like, it was like fire. It was like a ball of fire hitting me in the gut. Blew my theology all to smithereens. And when I got up 30 minutes later, I was changed. I was changed. And I woke up to a reality 
that I had resisted in my past, even as a Pentecostal. Next and last, encounters correct our faulty theology. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How can an encounter correct faulty theology? I issue you exhibit one, Peter's vision of the sheet. Peter falls into a trance. Do you know what that means? He went out under the power of God. He falls into a trance, and in that trance, God gives him a vision of a sheet coming down. Everybody know the story? Just kind of wave at me so I don't have to go too far much further. You know the story. What happened in that? God corrected Peter's faulty theology that only the Jewish people were worthy to receive Jesus and worthy to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, his theology was rocked. And as they knocked on the door and said, Peter, we need to see you. God said, they're down there, go with them. And from that moment on, it changed Peter's trajectory. Later, Peter would even struggle with that. We're not going to go into that. But he would come back to this very encounter. Somebody say encounter. He came back to this very encounter, and God showed him. You're wrong, Peter. I'm right. And then he showed him in the Word. Amen? I I believe that encounters will lead you back to the Word. They always do. They always did for me. Every single encounter I've had leads me back to Jesus. So, what do we do? We need to presume encounters. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying let's begin to expect the unexpected in this place. Let's begin to expect the unexpected. When you come in to a prayer meeting, when you come into a Sunday morning, when you come into a Bible study, let's begin to expect the unexpected. Let's begin to expect that when we seek the Lord with all of our heart, that He will be found by us according to His Word. Let's expect that we are special to Him. We are His children, and He wants to lavish His love on us us why would god only pour out his spirit on the book of acts but not do it on us today hello why would god pour out his spirit on cornelius but not on us today why would god pour out his spirit on a murderer like moses or saul but not on us today i'm telling you that's faulty theology he wants to pour out his spirit on all of us look at your neighbor and say you're worthy and somebody says, oh, that's bad theology. We're, none of us are worthy. We're all worms. No, we're not. We're saints before the Most High God. Would you look at your child today when you go pick him up from nursery, when you go pick him up from kids' town and go, you little filthy worm? <laughs> if you would do that and somebody were to hear you, what do you think they would think about you? That's a bad parent right there. God doesn't look at you and go, you little filthy worm. He looks at you and goes, I love you. I've created you for so much more than you're even capable that you think you're capable of. He has created in you a clean heart and he's created in you a precious place for him to encounter you and for you to encounter him. Say, I'm worthy of his encounter. In speaking to Cornelius' household, Peter says, our God is no respecter of persons. I just quoted from the King James Version. You should be proud of me right now, some of you. But then let me give you the other version. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. 
He doesn't show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. We need to begin to presume encounters, expect encounters. We need to prepare for encounters, seeking the Lord as he may be found. As the modern poet John Chris says, check your heart. Some of you get that, some of you don't. It's okay. Begin to check your heart. And say, God, I want to prepare for you to encounter me and me to encounter you. Peter preached to the crowd gathered at the healing of the lame man. And he said, now repent of your sins. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Then watch this. Then. Somebody say then. We skip this so much in our evangelical circles. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. He's not talking about lemonade, somebody. Times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Jesus said in John 7, 37, that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he will send again, he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Why does he need to send him again if he already sent him once to die on the cross? Why? Because he wants to refresh you. He wants to renew you. He wants to, he wants to pour over you, but we've got to prepare for that. We've got to repent of anything that is between us and Him and say, God, I'm here, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive. And then lastly, we need to position for encounters. We need to position ourselves. <laughs> I wrote this down. It'll mean some of you, to some of you one thing and to others another, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We need to assume the position. Anybody ever been arrested? Assume the position. <laughs> you got to assume the position, right? Well, you know what? It's not too far off from what we need to do with Christ. Assume the position. Well, I want you to try it right now. Just lift your hands. Come on. Just lift your hands. Can I tell you, there is so much power in lifting your hands. She's saying, Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I lift up these holy hands according to the scripture to you. I praise you. I honor you. I worship you. Holy Spirit, I lift up my hands. Jesus lifted up his hands and stretched them out. He was crucified for me, so I will gladly lift my hands to him, for he is worthy of all my praise. Keep your hands up just for a second more. You see, we cannot predict where the winds of the Spirit will blow but we can set our sails for when He comes. Set your sails. Just say that right now. Say, Holy Spirit, come. I want to encounter you. I want you to encounter me. Holy Spirit, prepare me. Prepare my heart. Hallelujah. You can put your hands down if you want. You don't have to. In Luke 19, Jesus warned the people of Israel that destruction was coming to them. And here's why he said it. Because you did not recognize the time of God's visitation to you. Let us be like the wise virgins who had their lamps trimmed and full of oil. Ready for when he came. Do you understand that? 
Paxton, would you come to the guitar? That literally every Israeli, every Jewish person understood what Jesus said in that moment. Because he was using the modern day methodology of the modern method or the modern marriage in that day. Because the bridegroom, unlike today, was not on a time schedule. Did you know that? The bridegroom was not watching the sundial on his wrist, saying, Oops, the schedule's now. I got to get out there. No, the bride was prepared and ready in her chamber. But she was waiting on the bridegroom. And guess who were waiting there with her? Her attendees, her attendants, those who attended to her. And as they were waiting, they had to be prepared at any moment because the bridegroom might wait till midnight to come. Might wait till the darkest of night before he shows up. Can I tell you that some of the most powerful encounters I have ever had are in the darkest of my nights. Some of the sweetest encounters I've ever had were in the darkest part of my soul. I love Paxton's story because it shows that even someone who isn't even sure if God even exists, God still wants to pour out his spirit upon them and reveal himself to them. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I know what time it is. I understand. This is kind of like a flip-flop. Because we spent time in his presence this morning. But I'm here to tell you, God wants to do something again. Jesus is coming again for his bride. He is. I believe it. I don't believe the pundits who say that things are just going to get better and better and better and then Jesus is coming. I just, I can't get that out of the word. I know they're popular and I know they say it, but I just can't get that. I do believe Jesus is coming again. But the Bible says he's coming for a bride that's spotless, without wrinkle. Only he can do that. But he's coming for a bride that's watching and waiting and ready. But until he comes, this is a beautiful thing. Until he comes to bring us to heaven, the Bible says, according to Peter, when he preached in Acts, there's going to be times of refreshing before he comes, times of encounter. Some of you need an encounter to direct you. Some of you need an encounter to refresh you. Some of you need an encounter to remind you of who you are in him. Some of you need an encounter because you need a miracle. Stop seeking the gift and start seeking the giver. Stop seeking simply for a miracle and asking for a miracle and ask for the miracle worker. Holy Spirit, come. Would you just say that? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, we're saying to you, this house is an open place for you. This is your house. This is your people. God, we want to encounter you in our closets. We want to encounter you in our kitchens. 
We want to encounter you in our living rooms. We want to encounter you in our car rides. But God, I want to encounter you together with your body. I want to encounter you in this place so that others can encounter you in this place. This is an open place. Come Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what you want. In Jesus' name. sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. We set our sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. We're going to continue to seek you, to come after you. From glory to glory. In the name of Jesus. to do, just worship. Lord, I worship you, spirit and in truth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to end. If you would stand. The book of Acts, it says that they were all together in one place, with one heart, with one unified prayer. Holy Spirit, come. It's what Jesus told them to go do. Go and wait for the gift my Father promised you. He'd already told them what the gift was. They just could never have expected the package it came in. They knew it was the Holy Spirit, but they never could have imagined the wind and the fire and the tongues. Man, wouldn't it have been great if Jesus would have said, this is exactly what's going to happen? But he didn't. 
to go and wait. That's what I want us to do. I want you to grab the hand of somebody, somebody next to you. And I want us to agree in the name of Jesus. That's what they were. They were at a place of agreement. Now, if you don't agree with this, then it's fine. You can keep silent. But if you agree with this, then I want you to agree with it out loud in the name of Jesus. So I'll say it, then I want you to repeat it. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. Just keep your disagreement to yourself. But for the rest of us, I want us to agree in the name of Jesus. Say, Holy Spirit, we are here. We are ready for you to pour out your Spirit upon us in this place. I yield my heart, I yield my mind, I yield my spirit, I open up my life to whatever you want in my life. I give you my family, I give you my job, I give you my neighborhood, I give you my house, I give you this church. It's all yours, Lord. Have your way in my life in every area. I yield myself to the winds of the Spirit. Come blow on me and move in me in the way you want, however you want, whenever you want. Come, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Do you agree? Amen. You see, that's the thing. I've been a part of some mighty encounters. And then I've been a part of some that were just like this, just quiet. I like them both. I'll take whatever he wants to give. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this body. And I pray that as we go here from here today, God, that we would not that we would not shy away from what you want to do in us over the coming weeks and months and years. We yield to you fully in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you. We didn't announce it earlier, but tonight we are going to be meeting again, not here, but at the chapel right off Golden Triangle in the North Fort Worth Keller area. We're going to be meeting with about six other churches. We're going to be watching a short film. I think it's about, what is it, 15, 20 minutes or so. It's not very long. But I just think there's going to be something that's going to happen in that place. Just as we come together with the body of Christ across our area with fellow believers. I want to encourage you to be there. It's at 6 o'clock. And then afterwards, there uh, Axiom Coffee. Many of the guys know where this is because we meet at Axiom. It's the church right next to Axiom. That is owned by the chapel. And so we're going to go over there afterwards. We're going to enjoy a time of fellowship and coffee. And uh, it's going to be a great time. But I want to encourage you to be there. Because I tell you, who knows when God's going to show up. Amen? Are you expectant? Are you ready? Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today.